Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, After having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Well, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And what would you do if you felt like your relationship with Jesus was growing and you currently had good Christian community, but you still found yourself holding on to frustration and questions related to Christianity from your past? What if you felt like there were some things that you needed to forgive and move on from, but you didn't know how to take those steps and maybe didn't know if you wanted to? Well, we're going to talk about that today with our returning co-host and our special guest, Before we get into that conversation, I want to take a moment and thank one of our patrons, Robin Mulder. Robin, thank you for your encouragement and support of this program. And friend, if you're a regular listener of the Finding Something Real podcast, would you consider joining Robin and others by becoming part of our Patreon community? For your support of $5 a month, you'll get access to our private Facebook community, a one-time pack of custom stickers, they're really cute, uh, with a thank you note from me, and every month a special bonus episode where my monthly co-host and I have a casual but important conversation about what impact, if any, this podcasting journey had for her. We are so thankful for each of you who support this program with your prayers, encouragement, reviews, and support, and you can find out more about Patreon specifically by visiting findingsomethingreal.com. So every month, I've been featuring a different co-host and her journey. If you haven't already listened to my May co-host share her personal story and questions she has about Christianity on this podcast, I encourage you to please go back and take a listen to Becca Schultz. Becca, I'm so glad you're back here today. I'm so glad to be back. Are you done with your, now you're done with finals. Mm -hmm. So this is your break. This is the break time. Yes. I have two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And then you go to camp to work. Yes. All summer? All summer you're going to be working? Pretty much, yeah. Wow. What age group are you working with this summer? So I really won't work with kids as much. I'm on crew, which means I'll be like driving the boat and the jet skis and filling up water balloons. So a lot of the behind the scenes. But our camp does like 8 to like 18. Wow. You know... I'll be honest, I've always admired people who have that kind of energy to do those things. I think, wow, what a fun job if you have the energy level, which apparently you do. I never could have done that, but I like secretly thought, I wish I could be more like that. So that's fantastic. (laughs) But I feel tired just listening to you talk about it. (laughs) It is a lot of work. It's tiring. (laughs) Uh, So Becca, so far, what have you thought of this co-hosting situation here? You know, getting used to it, figuring out, you know how to record a podcast, but overall, I really liked it. Good. Yeah, we just had that great conversation with Lou Phillips last week, and that was really deep, and uh, he had a lot of really good things to say, I think, so it was really nice of him to come on, and he really invested quite a bit of time talking with us. Yeah. Uh, Well, today, uh, Becca and I are excited to welcome our special guest, Michelle Watson. Michelle is an East Coast millennial who says she's all about letting the word shape her opinion and not the other way around. Michelle came to Christ in 2013. Since then, she served in the local church as the tech lead, is now the owner of 3125 Creative, coaching and consulting for digital missionaries that want to ditch the overwhelm and own the algorithms on social. (laughs) 
That sounds awesome. Uh, she co-hosts the Pantry Podcast with her husband, Shay Watson, where together they serve up spiritual nutrition for Christian soldiers that prefer truth over cavities. She's the mama of one amazing two-year-old, and she's a lover of matcha lattes and anything outdoors that doesn't require too much athleticism. <laughs> I'm excited to welcome to the Finding Something Real podcast, Michelle Watson. Michelle, welcome. Hi, it's great to be here. Oh, I'm so excited. Michelle, before <laughs> we dive in today, and before I forget this, how can people find you online? Yeah, so you can find our podcast at thepantrypodcast.com. And from there, you can jump off to all the different social networks, but we're The Pantry Podcast pretty much on every social network that we're on. And then for 3125, the most important thing is you spell out 31, and then it's just the number 25. And we're in a big flux right now. I used to be completely service-based. So I would design for you. I would manage for you, all that. And we're starting to get rid of a lot of that for now and focus on what I like to say is teaching people to fish instead of fishing for them so I can help more people and at a more affordable, for, more accessible rate for, for a lot of people. Um, so those are the two places you can reach us. And then also underscore, underscore, Michelle with two L's Watson is on Instagram. So you can find me there, just me on Instagram. Okay. That's awesome. I'm going to have to check out that 3125. <laughs> <laughs> I'll invite you to the free group. <laughs> okay. I think I might already be on it. There you go. There so, you go. Perfect. So Michelle, you are a busy woman, uh, but you're also very wise. Um, I've had the opportunity to, sh uh, to chat with you and your husband over Clubhouse. We had a casual conversation one time. I've been part of your Facebook group uh, where you're constantly pouring into people. And I've heard you share some of your story on Sherry Fletcher's podcast, Your Spiritual Game Plan. I'll link that in the show notes. I reached out to you because some of your story is very similar to Becca's and also because of the wisdom that I've seen coming from you as I've been observing you from afar. Um, <laughs> you're a wife, a mom of a young daughter. You have a business, a Facebook group, a podcast, etc. Um, and this is just for my own benefit here selfishly, but for the person listening right now, who is just feeling a little overwhelmed because honestly, I, I do hear that sentiment, not from just my peers, but from women who are much younger than me um, and in a different place in life. Just off the cuff, what's something that's helped you in that overwhelm area? I think a lot, you'll hear this a, a ton. People will always say, say no to more things or try saying no to one thing a day or, or what have you. And I will say, do not fight against that because we so often think that God's just going to keep dumping on us. Like, do this, do this, do this to serve me, do this to serve me. And a lot of time it's just us wanting to please him. And we think, and we forget the quality over quantity and we start doing quantity over quality because sometimes we doubt the amount of quality we can give Lord since he's perfect. So instead we try to make up for it with quantity. I'll serve you here, here, here. And then we get overwhelmed <laughs> and we burn out. Or we think we can help everybody and technically we could if we just picked that one thing or that one thing. But instead we try to serve them all right now because we see all these needs. And that's one of the biggest things me and my husband does is we try to empower the believers that are already believers, right? The found. We, we're like, look, you guys, you have a purpose. Go out and do it to find the lost because the more of us actually do it, the less people are going to be out there thinking there's 50 holes to fill and you're going to fill up 49 of them, right. right? So take the courage to actually start cutting things so that things that make you feel alive the most get your time and God will meet you there and direct you there. You don't have to worry about, oh, what if he doesn't want me to drop this? Like ask him, yeah. ask him and he'll make it very clear in weird ways, but he'll make it very clear what you should keep and what you shouldn't. So that's yeah. the biggest thing is have the courage to let go of some stuff and you'll grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good word. Um, I'm glad <laughs> that I asked that selfish question. <laughs> Becca was nodding her head too. Becca, that was good for you too, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know I'm not the only one who struggles in that area. <laughs> I mean, look, I only have that because I struggle in that area. And I've over the last about eight months have completely changed the way I do life. And even though I still experience overwhelm in some areas, it's now like a, it's a fire detector, a smoke detector. It's not just something I have to learn to get used to. It's like, okay, time to let go. And it's, it's radically changing my ability to serve the mm -hmm. clarity of what I'm doing and the effectiveness in which I do it as a mom, as a wife, everything. 
So that's why I'm like, I can speak from experience, y'all. I was not doing all the stuff you listed right. Yeah. <laughs> and I have more on the plate. So that's why I tell people what I tell them. Yeah, I, I knew that you had some wisdom in that area. I, I did know that I was asking the right person. <laughs> um, so Michelle, tell us, you didn't, come in, you didn't come to faith until 2013. Tell us your story, your background. So I grew up in a God-believing home but it was very vague for me. Um, so my dad is Catholic and he's of the Catholic variety that also prays a lot to the Virgin Mary. Um, so not just Catholic, but like, you know, praying hardcore to one of the saints. And, um, and he's also from Peru. So, you know, you have the cultural connotations of that as well. And then my mom grew up in West Virginia and her mom went to a old regular Baptist church. And my mom had her issues with that church, but knew the Bible was it, right? So my mom was always scared to pick the wrong church. So instead, she stayed home and read the Bible, and that was it. And she never chose a church her entire life. And so both of them had no problem bringing up God in the house, no problem talking about angels or Jesus or anything, but there was never any kind of focused instruction, education, even like an FYI for me growing up and because they couldn't just they weren't of the same denomination or even sect you know like they were not about to decide to go to the same place so i grew up like my christian background as a kid was there were some bible-based books in the house like adam the raccoon and like a little kid's bible that has you know genesis noah david <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the coat of many colors just because it's colorful, you know, and then all of a sudden it fast forwards to Jesus, skips everything else. So I didn't know anything about like, why would him dying do anything for me? That makes no sense. Like, it sounds great, but I wasn't like, what, what does that do? How does that work? What does it matter? So I also grew up in, right outside of DC. And so this is not a very religious area for Christianity. Um, and it's getting more and more or, or less and less as time goes on. So it wasn't like I had a big influence at school or anything. There wasn't anything to do at a local church like that wasn't how it was. Um, so I grew up just kind of coasting by my mom saying she's praying for me or, you know, what have you. But that's it. Um, so then my parents, they split up when I was 12. And so my dad moved out and. I was with my mom, but I saw my dad almost every day. So it was a very different situation than most people because my parents were able to coexist very well um, for my sake. And I'm an only child in that regard. My dad has two kids by his first wife um, that are much older. They're actually closer to my husband, who's 18 years older than me, uh, close to his age, right? So I'm like the late one to the party. Um, but at that time, I really can't say how that has affected me. I've never sat and really been able to pinpoint. I could make assumptions, but I know that even before they got divorced, I battled chronic loneliness my entire life. Like from as long as I could remember, even if I had friends around me, my mom loved me, my dad loved me without question, loneliness, like there was a hole and I could feel it. And I don't know when it came, probably from some dumb Disney movie, but I was convinced finding the right guy was going to fix it. I was convinced. Like, there was nothing else that was going to fix this hole in me. And I made that conclusion around five. Like, I don't understand why or how, but I was on this pursuit. And I praise God for it now, but I could never get a guy, right? Like, I could just never. <laughs> like, no matter how many skills, how funny, how nice, how cute my clothes were, like, never could get, like, perpetual friend zone. Um, it never worked out. And so for, for one reason or the other, so it's just like, that made me want it more. And it convinced me more that that's what I needed. And so I went to college and I was finally off on my own and still definitely was not looking for any kind of belief system. I even had, um, my first like actual hardcore Christian friends, right? Like I called them hardcore cause they like said they were Christian. They went to crew, right? I had only known one hardcore Christian in public school. And so now I had like three and they would like ask me questions about Jesus. And I was like, I'm spiritual. I'm not really a thing. You know, like I, I know God's real like that. I knew. Right. Um, but 
throughout college, the same thing with guys would happen. And I was like, I felt this internal ticking, like I'm getting older and this is where all the guys are. Like, how will I find them if I leave here single, right? And so my senior year, um, after a lot of heartbreak, I'm not even gonna get into, like complex, convoluted, just dysfunctional stuff. I was like, I feel so used. I'm gonna use guys instead. I'm gonna feel good about myself because they never want anything out of me. So I made a list of guys that I thought were cute or they had like the credentials. It was like, you can hear like how broken I was at this point. And I made a list and I just ran through them, like, you know, casually hooking up, not to the full extent, but you know, to some extent with all of them. And at the end of it, I had contracted herpes and I have no idea from who. And I had been a virgin up until that point. And I had been saving myself for this guy that would fill all of my loneliness. And now I'm sitting here testing positive for something that's not even manifesting. I just testing positive for it. And I'm like, I don't know where I got it, but probably from me just running around pridefully trying to use people like they've been using me. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just felt like nothing. I felt so worthless. And I started praying to God. Um, and I had always treated him like a genie. And I had always just taken it for granted that he could hear me, right? Like that's always what I had thought. And I was crying so hard. I was like, never let me fall for anyone ever again, unless it's who you want for me. And, and I was just so done. I was actually giving him some kind of surrender. And for the first time, I actually felt this impression on me. Um, I don't feel that all the time, even now, right? But in that time, I heard this, you treat me like a genie and I can be so much more. And, uh, and in that moment, I felt so convicted. Like, I didn't feel like I was going to hell for it, but I just felt like, Oh man, like I felt like the daughter that just never called home until she wanted money. And I was like, oh, that is me. And I don't like that being me. I need to get to know who I'm asking for things, who till this point, sometime delivered in miraculous ways, despite the fact I had no idea how Jesus fit into the equation. And so I, I said, okay, you know, and, and the other odd parallel is I had had some occult meetups in my life, really weird ones in my life. Um, a friend had taken me to visit a witch, like a real practicing woman who labels herself as a witch. And I had had some really weird encounters with her and weird encounters when I was alone and things like that. And, um, and it had scared me. And I had realized that the pop culture that I ate up like candy was starting to get weirder and weirder. And I was more and more uncomfortable watching it, although I was so secular at that point, right? Um, and I had started looking into like, okay, why are they all doing this? Why are they? And so all the explanations kept leading to occult things. And when you look into occult things, you see the only religion that they either reverse, like flip upside down or hate with a passion is Christianity. The rest they borrow from, they're cool with. And that just made me think even more like, there's a thing to my parents' belief. They're, this is the God I'm talking to sometimes, the one they hate, because why would these people doing messed up stuff hate a, someone helping them? Like that, that told, like there was something special. And so because of that, you hear the book of Revelation all the time when, when you're looking into occult stuff. Here I am like, God's telling me he could be more than a genie. So I started reading the book of Revelation. And by the <laughs> end of it, I had come to Christ. And I always tell people that book is full of like crazy stuff, but I just saw God's amazing patience and grace because he could have just wiped us out, but he kept giving people chance after chance. There's like three different chances in revelation to like still be okay. And I was like, this God has patience. This God has love. And I read an annotated version and um, I think it's discoverrevelation.net. And so in the breakdown, like when it mentions Jesus and the, and the lamb, and it walks you through like what Jesus death means. So I'm sitting here like, whoa, that's what it means. And whoa, it's that simple. And I was like, I might as well try it. Cause I'm scared to death of this world getting darker all the time and me lonely. Let me just try. And so I was like, God, I don't even know how to do this. I was alone on my couch with my laptop. I said, God, I don't even know what I'm doing, but I want to be with you. You're it. You're the winning team. I want to be on the winning team. I want to submit to you because you know better because you made everything like, let me just be with you. I understand what Jesus did. And I have never felt relief like that ever. No, no physical weightlifting or nothing. Just like I'm safe. I did it. Yes, it was that simple, but like I did it.
That's what the Bible says. I did it. And, uh, and then life got crazy again, because then you start feeling conviction and you're like, oh, I'll just stop cussing. I'll stop getting drunk. I'll stop, you know, trying to pursue any cute guy that walks by, you know, like you stop doing it. And then you're like, oh, there's more, there's more wrong with me. And then you try to fix that in your own strength. And you're like, oh, but wait, there's more wrong with me. And then you're like, I can't fix this in my own strength. And then you finally learn what grace is. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I started going to church and I finally told my mom I was a Christian and I lived with her. So I was hiding because I was like prideful, like embarrassed, like she'd been praying for me this whole time. And I was like, uh, she's, is she going to make a big deal about this? I don't know. And, uh, and she started going to the church I chose. Hmm. First church in her life since a kid. And, uh, and that's where I met my husband. He came a month after me and he started going there. And his story is crazier. <laughs> um, or I guess let's not compare. It's crazy too. Um, but we met there and then we've been on this wild ride together. Um, that isn't all, it's never easy, but the burden is light, you know? Um, and so we just keep rolling on it and it's been amazing. And now him and his ex-wife had eight miscarriages together, like later in the process, not six weeks, but like several months in miscarriages. And, uh, and then for other reasons they had separate or for additional reasons she had left and, uh, and he never thought he'd have a kid. And then here comes a girl, 18 years younger, did not know we were that big of a gap, um, but it worked out. God brought us together. And now he holds number nine and throws her around and teaches her cool stuff, you know? Um, so God's just doing crazy stuff, big stuff, little stuff, amazing stuff. Wow. What a story. <laughs> <laughs> I try That's to keep amazing. it quick, but I'm like, there's so much. <laughs> no, it's so great. Um, my parents are 13 years apart. So, and, uh, ah. yeah, <laughs> um, that's awesome. I, I have more questions, but Becca, I just want to hear your thoughts on what Michelle just shared. I think I can kind of relate, but like oppositely, like my mom was Catholic and then my dad was Protestant. And I always like, just felt so weird because they did bring up God and they did bring up Jesus, but like they couldn't really relate very well. Right. So they both were like, I believe this and I believe this. So we're not going to talk about it because we differ. And right. so it was always just like this weird taboo as a kid. Um, and then like when I like was like, I don't know Jesus, like later in life, I was like, I don't even know who to go to because like, are you right? Are you right? <laughs> like, and so I kind of relate in that way. Like, we're like, when I was stuck and I did not know, like, where I wanted to be, I couldn't even, like, really ask any of them. Right. Yeah, I think I can relate on that because I didn't go to my parents. And I'm also the type, so it's funny, I did street evangelism with my husband before we were married for a year in our community. Like, we go out to the city, to the city center, and we would just, like, talk to people and everything. And, and I was like, the, at first, it was such a struggle because I was that girl who would start jumping on her phone if a missionary came up to me or a street evangelist came up to me and wanted to talk about Jesus. You know, I was like, the I would, I would be like, even when I was younger, I'd be a little rude. Like, why are you talking to me, interrupting me? I'm on my way somewhere. I'm only out here because I'm doing something. So God knew that I would not hear it from anyone else and that I would have to come to him. He'd have to come to me, right? Like I'd have to do my own digging and come to it on my own. Um, and it's like my, I can thank my parents for giving me the initial cement, you know, they, uh, it looked very different for them both, but they had the same God. Um, and so at least it wasn't two different gods, right. That would have thrown me off, but because they both had the same root, um, I kind of, that's what I carried my whole life, but I didn't, I can't call it brainwashing or anything. Cause like they didn't really, you know, um, push it or anything like I know some people are like you know you raise your kids that way how how could they well raise your kids to ask questions and think for themselves because I did and guess where I ended up you know but I mean you have to teach them how to search out the answers you know and how to ask, oh, what critical thinking and logic actually is instead of just relying on someone with a degree but I can very much relate because I didn't go to my parents or anyone the first person I told was actually my friend from high school that I mentioned was the only Christian I knew. I was like, so I think I'm a Christian now. What should I read? I've read Revelation. And he said, now read. And I said, and Genesis. And he's like, read Mark. Hmm. You know, he's a pastor now. Uh, go figure. But um, 
I did not go to my parents, but it's okay. You know, it's, um, we have a really cool relationship now, even though my dad's still Catholic and my mom's still Protestant, like I am, or I guess not in um, Protestant, whatever it is, but, um, but we all have that root together now. And it's, it's amazing. Hmm. Was your dad at all disappointed that you chose, um, a Protestant, uh, version of faith? I think at first maybe, um, but he saw that I was, but what's interesting, I started praying for him and, uh, because he always talked about God and the Virgin Mary, God and the Virgin Mary. Right. So I would just kind of gloss over Virgin Mary and talk to him about God. And then like, I started praying for him because I was really convicted. Like there's no need to pray to the Virgin Mary. If Jesus is who he says he is, then the Virgin Mary is amazing. Right. Not a virgin anymore. Right. She had other <laughs> kids, but, um, but Mary amazing. You can learn from the pieces of her in the word, but you don't need to pray to her. She's not going to do you no favors, right? Because <laughs> you already have favor. Um, and I felt so convicted to pray for him. And then he started coming to visit me and Shay when we got married. And Shay is like a teacher preacher, right? Like, so he would have great conversation with my dad and got my dad into like, and my dad started admitting that recently he had started reading the Bible for himself because a lot of Catholics don't. A lot of Christians in general don't, let's say that. Um, but in the Christian culture, a lot of like, even people I know that are Catholic that go every week, they never miss a mass, they find the Bible boring, right? So it's like, okay, well, you don't meet many like evangelical Christians who, who admit the same thing, right? Um, but he'd been reading the Bible. He was on the phone with friends reading the Bible once a week, you know, all this. Like, and so he had questions, questions someone who knows the Bible can answer, right? like Shay, who's an evangel an evangelical Christian. And so they've had amazing conversations. And so I think he, because the Bible is where we meet, not our denomination, he rests secure that I'm saved and that he's saved and he'll see me in heaven. And so he's okay. Um, he's even told us some things that he has takes issue with for both sides. And I think that's where mm -hmm. Uh, modeling a healthy conversation instead of a conversion conversation has really helped my dad heal. Um, and it's, and it's what's helped our family heal. Although my parents aren't together, it's a lot more cordial than it's, than it was um, because we're united as the body now and that's irreplaceable. I think I differ when I decided to kind of get away from the Catholic church. I was raised Catholic. So there was a lot of like, why, why are you doing that? And a lot of like, um, I'm trying to find the right word for it. Cause it wasn't anger, but I think it was a lot of like hurt. Like I raised you this way. Like, why do you have an issue with it now? And I always remembered like, just feeling, I feeling I'm like, have this anger. Like, why were you mad at me? Or why did you have this hurt that you put on me? For leaving because like ultimately I didn't leave to like just be like eh, I don't like this church anymore like I honestly was just stuck and I did not yeah. feel like I knew who Jesus was and so I think I differ from that a little bit yeah and you know I think one of the biggest differences um that I've had like when I when I think about where my dad is like we we have our disagreements right and I think he was more hurt in the beginning um but one of the interesting things that I, it was actually before I came to Christ, I was always like, why would you want a convert in your church or in your mosque or in your synagogue? That's a turncoat. They're not loyal. <laughs> and I thought that about every religion. I was like, if you can't commit and stick, I don't want you in my <laughs> belief system, right? Like I was so, and, um, but I have this mindset of like, now as a believer, how, I want Kalia in a church, right? Um, that's even, your daughter. You know, yeah, that's my daughter. Yeah. And I want her to know, but more importantly than I want her in a church, I want her to know the Lord. But one thing I've learned is there's so many believers um, that they're in churches that teach them without saying it out loud that it's the church first. And that mm -hmm. if you're not loyal to the, those four walls or the name on that building, then you're not a Christian or there's something wrong with you. And so I've had to realize in a lot of evangelism conversations is where this has really come up. They have been brought up to believe a falsehood where the loyalty lies in the denomination 
The loyalty lies in the pastor. The loyalty lies in the Bible translation and not in the God of the Bible. And when I realized that it's something that stems from how they were taught, and then I think about the things I'm still battling that I was taught, right? Especially the things you're taught first are the hardest to like knock. Um, I now can see, I get less frustrated with people because I'm like, you're doing this because of something you were taught. So because you were taught that this is a sign of danger, danger, this person ain't saved or danger, danger, this person is now following a heretic, you're terrified for me. And it's manifesting as fear and frustration and hurt feelings. But you're sitting here like your parents, for example, like, what did I do wrong? How did I fail at being a good Catholic that she's not still Catholic? You know, what what did I do wrong? Because being Catholic is the thing, you know, and, and if you're not Catholic, you're not like there's Catholics who are like, if you're not Catholic, you're not saved because you're taking grace too lightly, you know, <laughs> and or and things like that. And so in those situations, I'm like trying to to drill down to the why behind what I see more than just stopping at what I see. And because I get offended at what I see, but if I start trying to figure out the why I get empathetic because I'm like, most of the time it's like a deep hurt or a, or a, a, a falsehood that is causing them to, to do this. And I have no doubt that both your parents love the heck out of you. And that's why this hurt is there. And the, and, but it's, it just sucks because it never manifests in a fruitful way <laughs> it never it always it, it, it tends to just get in in these big chasms and and fissures and stuff but one of the things that the bible says you know is to not fight the flesh but to fight the principalities and the principalities can manifest as lies and the flesh can manifest as your parents right so fighting the flesh means sitting in the hurt and I, I sit in a lot of hurt, so I'm preaching to myself too. If you sit in the hurt of what the flesh, another person's flesh has done, you're kind of stuck until they stop acting that way or repent, like apologize. But if you start attacking the lie, you see them as a victim. You see that you're actually on the same side. You're both victims of lies. And so now you're like, oh, so this is someone that's a little, like that's, that's hurt me, I don't need to blame them and I don't need to get caught up in that sauce. I need to get caught up in the lie sauce. I need to start being out there, loving on them and prayerfully being like, how Lord reveal this lie to them because it's hurting them first. And then you, you know, it's a chain of hurt going on. Yeah. That's super helpful to like understand. I would, I wish that I could like understand that and be like, I'm going to apply that today. But I don't know. Look, I have never been able to apply today what I learned today <laughs> about spiritual stuff or like never. I barely can apply what I learn in math <laughs> in the same day. <laughs> but the more you think about meditate on it, right? So the more it kind of sits in there, that's why, you know, the truth takes root. So can lies, but the things that we keep thinking about are what takes root and starts developing. And that's where God can talk because one of the game changers in my life is I am a very, I'm a thinker. Like I have a monologue all day. Right now there's kind of a monologue in my head, planning what I'm, what's coming out. Like I can always, like I have an internal voice. And when I realized that God hears all my thoughts, I was like, people are like, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? And I was like, well, I'm not on my knees in a room very often. So man, my prayer life's terrible. And sometimes when I lay there trying to talk to him out loud, I fall asleep. But then I realized, no, I think of him as hearing all my thoughts. And he's kind of like, the second person in my head, like listening most of the time to my just droning, but dropping nuggets, dropping guidance, you know, throughout the day. And now I realize I don't have to beat myself up about a terrible prayer life or a terrible God relationship because I, he's with me all day. And he's like in my internal monologue all day. I'm assuming he hears me. And I'm, that influences how I talk to myself, how I think of others, where my conclusions go. And so the things that I think about today or here today, that's like they, they go in and then I start, they start going on the treadmill in my head and God starts to work on them then, you know? So never also be discouraged. If you hear something, you're like, that sounds great, but how could I do it today? Amen. How could you do it today? 
right? God is not a quick fix God. He healed the people physically, but he was not there to do that first and foremost. He was there to heal them eternally and to heal them in here and in here. And so that's the most important thing to remember is if it's a like sometimes we're praying for things that are actually the symptom. And we want the symptom to go away. And he's like, no, 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 before I can have the symptom go away, I need the root problem to go away. And you don't want me to touch that yet. So the symptom's gonna stay. So instead of me even labeling what I need him to take away, I'm like, reveal to me what you wanna take away. It's gonna suck, <laughs> but it's gonna be fruitful. It always pays off more than me trying to be my own doctor. Like you go to the doctor and you're like, this is what's wrong with me. Can you give me the right medicine? And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't know enough about medicine and, and biology to know what the heck you need medicine for. So you come to me, I'll do the checkup and then I'll, I'll tell you what you need to do. And so the biggest thing is diet change, right? But my biggest shift was realizing he's in my head all day anyway, listening. And so that's comforting because I can be like, I'm like, and you still love me hearing all that? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> so so don't, don't put that pressure on yourself for today. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you something, Michelle, and... This could come off as like a judgment from some people listening, but I think it's a fair observation. So I'm just going to go with it. Um, it's certainly been true in my own life. So I can just speak for myself um, at, at times. And this is it. There are a lot of people who say they are Christian, um, but then it's not the thing for them, right? It's not the ultimate. Becca and I were talking to a guy named Lou Phillips last week on the podcast and he was sharing that our identity in Christ has to be the ultimate thing. It has to be the first thing. Um, I want to know your thoughts on that. Do you agree with that? And why has following Christ become the ultimate thing for you? I absolutely agree. I think that if you're trying to put him literally first and like physically, for lack of a better word, physically first at every moment of your day, you're going to feel like a failure. Right. Because then if you choose your kid who's crying over being on your knees, praying, now you're suddenly, you know, he's not number one. Um, so you have to understand what he's calling you to. He's calling you to love your, the Lord, your God, and to love your neighbor. And some people, well, who is my neighbor? And it's like, OK, shush, <laughs> <laughs> love people, love him. But you have to love him first to love them right. Otherwise, you're trying to make them happy in all the wrong ways. And you're not understanding the philosophy. Philosophy is the wrong word, but like, you know the mindset of God in what healing actually looks like, what truth and love actually look like. So I, I tell people like this, like doesn't matter how big a slice of your pie is God topped, your pie is not God flavored and that's the problem. So you'll never be satisfied, hmm. right? Because your pie needs to be God flavored. And then it needs to influence every decision you make because every decision that you make that isn't influenced by him and his truth will inevitably mess you up in some way. It'll rob you of something. It'll distract you from something more important. It'll confuse you. It'll drag you down. It'll whatever. Um, and I've learned that because my pie, I would, I would love to say that it's God flavored at this point, right? But then there's sections of it less God flavored, right? Where I have a tendency to just sprinkle God on top or not even think about him when I'm doing it, right? So it's not even this thing where I'm like thinking in proportions or fractions or percentages. I'm just like, where would you have me? Because then I'm trying to be at the bird's eye view, fixing my own life. And that's where he is. That's his job, not mine. And so one that takes the pressure off me, then I'm like, okay, what are we going to work on today? And he doesn't just say, well, today, Michelle, we're going to work on your patience. No, he just throws things, allows things, right? Has planned for things. I always say he plans for the free will choices of others, right? He, know, he doesn't want to rob anyone of free will, which means there's going to be bad things that you didn't deserve happening to you, right? Because someone else's free will choice impressed that on you. But he will always offer you a way to redeem it, flip it, escape it be delivered from it, use it as a testimony, use it as a weapon against the enemy at some point. And so um, that's why I say, don't focus and fixate on trying to like make a giant list of your life and say, well, that is that God flavored or is it God topped or, you know, what is it? But more just be willing to let him correct you. He has the perfect order in which to correct you. 
and, and tweak you and guide you. And so we can't like that sound, if it sounds like you're in the, in the driver's seat, you've, you, you can relook at it because that's not how it is. You know, like he's the ultimate driver. That's why the burden's light. We just have the, but the, the trick is obeying when he calls us and obeying like, okay, I feel convicted about this. What am I going to do about that? Am I going to ignore him to get rid of this icky feeling? Or am I going to get rid of this icky thing in my life that he's pointing to? Or this thing that has good intentions, but not God intentions, you know? And so those are the shifts. And, um, and so everything that I'm starting to, to hand over to him, I'm, I'm just ready for him to flip anything upside down with the trust that when it flips upside down, it'll actually be right side up, you know, and that I just didn't know any better from my life beforehand. And I have come a long way. That's not, that's a very new mentality. I would say maybe in the last 12 months, maybe, well, I guess it's been a little longer. I feel like I was just getting there right before COVID and then the whole COVID thing kind of was fertilizer for me and for my husband. Um, do we still fight all that stuff? Yes. So are we perfectly got, no, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But, um, but, but yeah, I, I totally agree with that sentiment um, overall. Mm -hmm. What about when you don't want to give him everything? <sighs> um, I'm one of those people who, I guess it's a little neurotic, but I'm going to admit it anyway. Like, I've always replayed what I'm most scared, scared of in my head and tried to find silver linings, tried to find like healthier outlook ways to look at it. So if it ever does happen, I'm ready. Um, and that's kind of weird. Um, and it doesn't work for everyone. But for me, um, I, I think about the things I don't want to give. Like if he asked me to give this thing up, what would I do? And I know because it's not currently happening to me, um, I can think clearly about it right? I can be a little more like even keel. And so I'm like, okay, well, the truth is if he asked to give it to him, I got to give it to him. If I have to give it, if he asked me to give it up, I got to give it up. Like that's what the word says. That's the answer. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> but what if I don't want that? And I'm like, okay, well, I know what I have to do. It's not currently happening, but I know what I have to do. So how would that, how could I soften the blow to myself? Right? Um, if I had to give it up, what are some good things? Even if they're dumb good things, right? What are some things I could focus on instead of all the things that like would hurt? And, um, and I go through that exercise sometimes when I find myself like this little fear monster growing too big. I'm like, let me look at this fear monster. What would that actually mean? If I lost my husband, what would that actually mean? I could go on factually, right? I could go on. I'd be miserable for a while, but what would that mean, right? And that, that's not even necessarily God saying, I'm just going to take this to prove a point or something. But if his, I mean, we're 18 years apart, he might die first, right? Um, so what would happen? And I start thinking and it's like, so I kind of preemptively comfort myself. So when the time comes, the hope is that's not the issue, right? That's not something I'll get drowned in and it, and it can't overwhelm me in the moment. And so I always recommend to people like faith is preventative medicine. So exercise your faith when the going's easy exercise your faith on the little things because the big things are the things you don't want to give up so exercise with things you're happy to do things that are a little uncomfortable to do um challenge yourself by praying prayers where it's like use me like break me in this area you know like i like let me give me practice before the big one lord please <laughs> you know <laughs> and uh and and he will Cause he knows, he knows it's not easy. I mean, like he's not a, he's not a masochist, you know, he's not sardonically smiling at us as this happens. And, um, but he, but he always has something on the other side. And, and I've seen that enough times now, seven years in, um, or I guess seven to eight years in now, I don't know how long I've been here, but, <laughs> um, but it's, it started with those little things. That's why I can say it with such confidence. Now I could not have like, seven years ago, you know, there's, I had a thousand mistakes in front of me to bring me here. I think like, I have definitely like, seen small things. And I've definitely like, in my life done like, smaller things like, oh, like, God, I can give you like this aspect, like this stress. But like, 
the big things I'm struggling with, like, I just don't feel like those small things and me practicing, like, has worked for me. And I feel like I'm just, like, holding on to them, like, so tight that, like, three things. I don't want to know the truth about them. Even when I do know the truth, I don't want to give them up. And then third, I just, like, I'm so, like, stressed about, like, what would happen if I gave them up that, like, it stresses me out. Yeah. That's where, I mean, I've been there. I'll tell you that. And I feel like I'll be there again. I'm not saying that I've gotten past that stage and I'll never come back again. Um, As you're talking, one of the things I think of is I don't think I would be where I am now without the strength of the relationship I have with God. Um, And I'm one of those people, like, I was like, God, I want to hug you. Like, if I could just hug you, I'd love you so much, you know? (laughs) And, uh, but it's like, it's hard to love a God I can't see and I can't audibly hear, you know? Um, But the mind thing, knowing he's in there, that changed a lot for me. Um, Oddly enough, watching The Chosen has helped, you know? I love Um, that show. A lot of people (laughs) say that. Um, and I think that that's why God is is working miracles in that show, because he knows that we all in this generation could use a little help in this area because of how diluted the idea of love even is for us with people we can hug. But the relationship part, like that's what he wants more than anything. He wants that more than you giving anything up. He wants that more than you letting go or grow. like he just wants to love you. And he wants to help you learn to love him because like he can't, I don't, I don't think he can get any happier. Maybe, I mean, that's not biblical, right? But I feel like he's perfect, right? So it's like he experiences all the joy there is to have, right? He is God. He's, he's the hub of all of that. But he, he wants you to have as much of that as you can. And so investing all in the relationship. And yes, letting go of things helps the relationship, but investing in him more than a denomination, more than the church, more than the community, um, you, and, and praying that. If nothing else, God, I want to be in a deeper relationship with you. I don't know how to do that. Help me. Send me people, send me quotes, send me songs, whatever it takes, bring it. And he knows exactly what you need to get there. But I will tell you that the more you try, like think about the people you trust the most, they could probably get you to try foods other people can't. Like a stranger could not get you to try a cicada. We're having cicadas come out the ground right now in Maryland. <laughs> um, and our daughter's like, whoa. <laughs> but, um, but like Shay, I know he'd be like, I could make that cicada deep fried in butter and you wouldn't even know it's bug. And like, I'm just making that up because I don't know if he would. But like, I would be much more inclined to eat a cicada, if my husband encouraged, vouched for, right? Then someone I just kind of knew. Like, I can't, th- like, there's a lot of friends that I like share all kinds. I'm like, I wouldn't eat a cicada for you <laughs> unless you were dying. Um, and so in those, so the relationship is key. And if you look at the enemy's tactics and the world's tactics, all the tactics go to the same thing, robbing you of relationship with God. They're very like if you if you distill down all the tactics, it always comes back to keeping you away from knowing God, giving you a quick fix of some satisfaction so that you won't go to God for it. And it's not about stealing your crowns in heaven. It's not about your track record. It's not about your health, your financial status. It's not about, you know, keeping you from heaven. That's not even the thing. It's if you have Christ. The only thing he can do is rob you of the relationship aspect. So the more you focus on that, and right now you're probably like, well, word, but how, right? Like ask him, he'll do it. I can't even tell you, but work on that. And then the giving up of things will come easier. Like right now he might be prompting things to prepare you and it's not even time yet, right? Like he's, he's, he's working on it, right? You start feeling the conviction, but he knows you're not ready. He knows it's going to take you five months. He knows, you know, like he's more interested in the relationship that's going to build from the tension of the conviction and the struggles you're having in your life from who you've been and how you're going to lean on him in that and how he's going to get opportunities to reveal himself to you through those, right? Because it's not, again, not a quick fix. So sometimes he's already factored in all the time it's going to take. 
So if you just, just like, if you just focus on relationship with God, relationship with you, don't even call him God, say you, God, you know, he's the, I am. So call him you. I want a relationship with you and, and focus there, put all your energy there. The rest will follow. You know, there's a reason that strengths quest quiz, like test personality test, like it only shows you your top five because people have a habit of looking at the bottom when they showed them all of them, they would always scroll to the bottom, see what their worst things were. And they would always want to fix those, those bottom five to 10. And if you try to fix the things you're worst at, you barely will test higher in those and nothing else grows. But if you focus on your top five, the rest improve too, but now you're stellar, right? So that, so your top one is relationship with God, focus on that and the rest will come with it. Really, really good advice there. Um, <laughs> I remember I may have shared this with you before, Becca, in a previous episode. Um, I know I've shared it on this podcast before, but when I was about 10 years ago, I'm not even going to say how old I was, I went to therapy. And my therapist, I'm not sure that she was a Christian, but she gave me some great advice. She said, Janelle, you're always saying you should do this. You should do that. She goes, what if you did it uh, at, for a different motivation? I said, well, I'm a Christian. I should be doing better in these different areas. <laughs> and she goes, um, what if instead of should being the motivation, it became out of love? What if your motivation was love? And it set me free because what Michelle's saying is so true. Like the more time you spend in his presence, um, that really is where the battle is, right? The more he sheds light on the areas in our life that we need to give over to him, the more that we want to, because we see him for who he is. There's this beautiful song by Shane and Shane called vision of you. And one of the lines goes, um, may the vision of you be the death of me. And it's like, you know, how God calls us to uh, carry our cross and, and follow him. Well, it comes from seeing him. I love the chosen too. In fact, I was just sharing about that today because we were watching it last night. And um, one of the episodes, one of the recent episodes is this part where the disciples, no spoiler alerts for anybody, but there's this part where the disciples are sitting around arguing about things and Jesus is exhausted and he walks by because, you know, he was fully God and fully human and he walks by and he's just exhausted and tired and they're so busy with their trivial things that really aren't trivial because it's keeping their eyes away from what's right in front of them, the beauty that's right in front of them. And his mom goes over there and she comforts him. And there's just this deep, not guilt, but this conviction that I think comes over them as they realize, wow, we missed it. And I don't know, it's in the presence of Jesus, in that love of just being around him and going, wow, whatever you've got, I want it. It's like, whoa, I, I don't need to live in shame and guilt because I just want to live with you. And I think what I really like about The Chosen too, and maybe someday I'll get somebody from there on here. Please, if you're listening, please. Um, <laughs> it would be an honor because I think something that I love about that is it shows the disciples not as these perfect saints, but as real people who really struggled with real sin issues and how transformed their lives became became as they spent time in the presence of their Savior. And that's a message that all of us can receive from, because as we spend more time in the presence of our Savior, people are going to look at you, Becca, or they're going to look at you, Michelle, or whoever, and go, that's a person who's been with Jesus. There's something different about them. And I think that's true. And that's uh, Lisa Turker's line. I remember reading that in one of her books. She's like, you know, be the kind of woman where people go, that person's been with Jesus. But it doesn't come from the guilt. It comes from the light and it goes, man, I want, I want, I want that. Um, yeah. so anyway, that's just to piggyback off of what you said, Michelle, cause it was, it was really good. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I mean, if you think about when, I mean, okay, I'm married. So like I, but I know like when I would get done hanging out with my future husband and then go see friends or something, they would know I'd been with him because I was so happy in my best self. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and now I look back, I'm like, man, I could take that and be like, well, man, I should have done that for the Lord. Like if I was in the Lord's presence, people know, right. <laughs> um, but no, it's the perfect analogy because so often, like when you're around the people you love the most, the, uh, the impact of that lasts past that interaction. And mm -hmm. the next people that see you get to cash in on the benefits of that previous meeting. And that's what happens 
why he says love him first and then love others. Because if you try to love others and then go to him, you're going to him for a recharge, right? But they did not get the benefits of God in their in their interaction with you. Whereas if you go to him first, right? And it doesn't have to be some religious thing where you're like, okay, I'm going to a friend's house. Let me sit in the car and pray for five minutes. But what it just means is if you're just in this, in this lifestyle where he's with you and you're thinking about him and, and the things you're choosing in your life were because he led you to those things, then he's there and you're engaging with him and the more and the more and the more. And, and I was, I studied psychology and brain plasticity was one of my things I just loved because, um, in your head, there's schemas, right? So synapses that are in little neural networks of like, they're all related. So if you like Apple, when you hear the word app, like, so there's a little bridge between computers and fruit in your head because of Apple computers and iPhones, you know, like there's like little things, but they're bridges. And the more you think about those things, the more those synapses reinforce and they get thicker and stronger. But the less you think about them, the weaker they get till they dissipate to, to nothing. And, and so um, when he says to renew and transform your mind, you're physically renewing and transforming your mind when you spend time with him in the best ways in his word, you know, talking to him, th those things, because you're reinforcing his words, his life giving words, you're reinforcing him in your life and what he says and, and all that comes with that. And the less you're spending time reinforcing your fears, your worries, your your anxieties, the the negative thoughts you had about that person, the negative thoughts you read in the comments about yourself, you know, you're like you're focusing on him. So all these other synapses are weakening. And on the other side, all of his are strengthening, which means the next time you go into a situation, the strong synapses have a higher likelihood of impacting how you engage, even if it's a negative situation. Right. And so over time, that's why it's important. Like he's like, do it all the time, right? Because it benefits you. And the idea of should, like you were talking about, I love that you said like, instead of should do it out of love, because when you do it for should, it's like extrinsic motivation, right? You're doing it for some kind of reward. Whereas it's like, if you do it just because you love him, you love yourself, right? You can love your, like the more you love yourself after you love God, the more you're going to be like, I got to choose God's way because I love myself <laughs> and his way's best for me. And I would not like, if the options are, do you want to dive into a ditch for a dollar or walk a mile for a million? Well, I love myself. I'll walk a mile for a million, right? That's not only going to help me fitness wise, but I'll get a million dollars. Right. That's pretty much what the world's throwing at us. You want to just throw in this dish for a quick buck. And so the more he teaches us our identity, the more self-worth we have. Like if you think you love yourself enough now, imagine in a, in, in, a, in three more weeks of with God. Right. You'll love yourself even more, which gives you the stamina to choose the harder things because, you know, they lead to the ultimate like gift and the ultimate blessing and the ultimate ability to serve. Whereas. Right now, it's like I was used to settling. I was used to the quick fix. I was just, and I didn't even realize it was settling. But an amazing job and no God, like one of the quotes I had before I had the Lord was, some people are so poor, all they have is money. And my friends couldn't understand it. And I didn't even have Jesus. And I was like, how can you not understand that? Money isn't everything. And they were like, but you're not poor if you have money. And I'm just like, <laughs> okay, okay. But but it's this idea, like we shortchange ourselves when we choose our way. Mm -hmm. And the, and, and you'll be able to just like, again, focus on him and you'll, and it'll trickle down into loving others and yourself. And then you'll start making the other, the tough choices. Cause it's like, that ends up loving me more, loving others more, loving God more. Isn't it crazy how it works out like that? It's such a paradox because nowhere, in fact, Lou Phillips was talking about this. He was saying, uh, that nowhere does, does Jesus talk about self-identity. The only time he uses the word self is with denial. And when you say, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, the love your neighbor as yourself, to love yourself is intrinsic. It comes from the loving God first. We don't have to focus on ourselves. Loving who we are comes as a natural outflow of loving him. 
I mean, that is so, it is crazy. And then in loving him, we want to surrender the self-denial part and love others. I mean, it's just, if we can get it, don't get it twisted. (laughs) If we start out with him, we're golden. In fact, he says that, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added. And we... I know for me, I'm preaching to myself here, so often I'm like, oh, I got to, you know, I'm struggling with this lie or this or that, but focus on the positive, focus on him. And the natural outflow is like you're saying, you're not going to be jumping in the ditch for a dollar. You're going to be going, no, no, I know my savior is the redeemer. I know he's, mm-hmm. what did you call him? The winner? Yeah. He's on the winning team mm-hmm. and uh, he he's ultimate. And I'm, I'm headed that direction, even if it looks harder to the world, even if it's whatever, his burden is easy and his yoke is light. I think I got those mixed up. But anyway, uh, Becca, I wanted you to have any final thoughts here, and then I'll, I'll send over the final question for you to ask Michelle here. I think just like, I never really understood that kind of like analogy where like, if I just kind of focus all of my energy, instead of focusing it on well, I need to fix this about myself to be a better Christian. I need to stop doing this. I need to start doing this and like, just focus on like my personal relationship with like Jesus. I like never thought of it that way. Don't know why, but like, it makes so much sense to me. And like, honestly, like, it's like really like freeing to think of it that way. So thank you. Praise God. I want to cry. <laughs> um, because we are so tied and chained down in this world. Like I, I, I haven't thought about it until Janelle was talking and then it reinforced when you did like, I can't, I forgot what it was like, how much mental energy I spent in my day thinking about all the things that were wrong with me that I needed to fix before I had him. And even when I first had him and experienced the conviction, I thought it was condemnation instead, like fix this, fix this. And I realized, oh, he's just preparing me for what he's gonna do next. You know, like he's just letting me learn to let these things go but um but it's so much mental energy trying to get rid of things that aren't ours to get rid of in that sense like we're trying to get rid of our selfishness i'm like how am i going to what (laughs) how am i going to get rid of my impatience you like there's no like get get rid of your tendency to be mad when people look at you funny like how do you that's not that's not where you start right and, um, and when people say like, it's relationship over religion, one of our pastor's daughters has that bumper sticker on her car. Um, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. The religion part is that big to-do list of everything that's wrong with you, right? And that's what the Pharisees did. They were so focused on all the things you have to do or not do to be right with him. And all he wanted was relationship. That's why he came and he got 12 people to build relationship with right? And, um, and that's what's freeing. And I'm obsessed with that, with letting people get it, helping them get it in any way I can offer extra feedback. I'm just like, no, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that at all. I have not done that in years. Sometimes I'm like, man, I suck at this. But it's like, I'm so obsessed with serving people now. Like, even though I'm like, I want Starbucks right now, and that's serving me, right? But like, overall in my day, I'm like always trying to be better at this service or, you know what, like, and I'm getting better, but it's not because I'm sitting there trying to fix it. So I'm just so happy. (laughs) Yeah, I I had a guy on here, uh, man, I quote him all the time and misquote him at that, but his name is Josh White. He's a pastor out of Portland, Oregon. And I love what he says about the gospel. He says, every other religion is about a ladder that you have to climb. And the cross is the, the symbol of the Christian faith. And it's what you die on. It's what you come and say, I can't do it on my, my own anymore. God, I need you. I need you. I want to be in your presence because I know your presence changes me. And um, anyway, I just love, Michelle, that you came on here to share with us today. I'm going to let Becca ask the final question here. And Becca, hopefully I typed it out uh, coherently. As you, were. <laughs> I, you know, I have four kids. I'm pretty sure all multitasking abilities have been totally drained from my <laughs> my synapses. <laughs> you did it. Okay. The Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Of those four gifts that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ, which of those stand out to you the most in your life right now and why? 
Oh man, what we've been talking about, love, because I see it as the key to the rest. You know, I just see it as the key to the rest. And I think I could spend another five hours explaining why, but I think this whole episode has, has walked through why love is what allows us to trust him enough to do all those amazing things he can do for us. And then we can therefore do amazing things for other people because he's using us and we're letting him use us. So um, that, I think that's the big, that's the big thing. Yeah. I love it. Well, Becca Schultz and uh, Michelle Watson, thank you so much, both of you for being on here today for taking the time and just sharing and being so vulnerable. I I just really appreciate both of you and what a great conversation. It's uh, filled up my cup today. I'm just like, that's right. Lord, it's you that changes us. It's you that changes us, not us doing the, (laughs) I'm such a sinner. I know. Although we are, we are sinners. Mm -hmm. But you know, here's another thing from that Josh White, like even on our worst day, the God of the universe is crazy about you, right? And he's not content. Uh, to let you just keep on wallowing in that. He's like, come to me. You know, I just love that. I love it. So anyway, until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting co-hosts to join me to share their personal stories and to ask their honest questions about the Christian faith. Each month, we hope to feature a different co-host and together invite guests on to share from their own faith journeys and experiences. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all about what's so great about Jesus, I hope you come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with him. Until next time.